This is the Mahabharata Podcast, Episode 94, The Kali Yuga. Last time, we had another eventful episode indeed. The famous horse sacrifice was successfully completed, and, after about 15 years of living like one big happy family, blind Dhritarashtra decided to retire from the world and live as a renunciate. As he and Gondari and Vidor and Sanjay departed for the woods, the Pandava's mother Kunti decided to accompany them. There seems to be a careful accounting for each character's sins and how they were to be expiated. Whether Kunti really was guilty of anything, she definitely felt guilty, and it seems her departure was inspired by her guilt over Karna. Old Vidor adopted his new lifestyle with gusto, and soon became quite the sadhu. But before we could interrogate him, he merged his soul right into Yudhishthira's, so now he is not dead, but he's lost into the king's identity. Finally, Vyasa summoned up all the dead warriors, and an amazing reunion took place as the living and the dead were reunited, and all the old quarrels were completely forgotten. The great tragedy of our world is that we could bring paradise to earth at any moment if we could just forget our fears and resentments, and just love one another. This was illustrated beautifully when all the old enemies suddenly reappeared, and none of their old enmities were recollected. At the close of this touching scene, we are reminded that at one frame, the story is being told at the snake sacrifice of Parikshit's son, Janamajaya. King Janamajaya interrupted and asked if it was really possible that a dead person could come back in spirit, yet still look like they had their former body. At first, Vyasa's disciple, Vaishampayana, tried to explain it metaphysically, saying that the imprint of one's appearance survives death and stays with the soul as the product of that lifetime's accumulated karma. I don't think the king quite understood him, because he said, Yeah, well, I'll believe it when I see it. Let me see my dead father, Parikshit, and then I'll believe everything you've told me. At this frame of the story, the tale is being narrated by Vaisampayana to King Janamajaya before the blazing fire of the snake sacrifice. Also present for the telling is the author of the story, the sage Vyasa himself, but he does no speaking. His disciple does all the talking for him. Just to refresh your memory, I should say that the epic was first told by Vyasa to Parikshit during the last days of that king's life. It was a snake who killed Parikshit, and his son Janamajaya is taking revenge on the snakes, during which he requests to hear the tale of his ancestors. So Janamajaya has been listening to pretty much the same story that we have, and it appears that he's also had some doubts about the veracity of some of these amazing events. Lucky for him, the author of the story is attending the recital, and Vyasa obliged the king by giving him a private miracle. Wordlessly, he summoned the specter of dead King Parikshit. King Janamajaya and all his ministers were witnesses to the return of the dead King Parikshit. The son embraced his father and washed him with holy water. When this touching reunion had ended, Janamajaya praised Vyasa for his miraculous powers and then got right back into the business at hand. He asked, what happened next after the crews had the reunion with their dead? Vaisampayana got right back to telling the story. He said that the crews were divested of their grief and felt much better, now knowing that the dead are far better off than the living. Shortly after this, the Pandavas and their retinue returned to Hastinapur and resumed their worldly lives. Things went on uneventfully like this for two years, when one day the wandering Rishi Narada showed up at the king's court. After he'd been welcomed and had rested, Narada said, It has been a long time since I saw you last, so I thought I'd come by and visit. You know, I paid a visit to the ashram on the Ganga along the way. Yudhishthira said, I've been told that Dhritarashtra lives along the banks of that river. Perhaps you saw him. Narada said, Now brace yourself for some bad news. 
I have just come from your uncle's ashram, and I was told what happened to him. Narada then explained what he had learned while at Dhritarashtra's camp. He said that after the Pandavas had left the retreat, the old king had wandered towards the headwaters of the Ganga. Gandhari, Kunti, and Sanjay accompanied him on this trek. For six months he fasted and practiced austerities until his body was emaciated to the bones. Gandhari lived on water only, while Kunti ate only once every six days. This group was worshipped by the other ascetics in the area. The king had no fixed abode. He just wandered about, followed by a small group. One day, when the king had finished bathing in the river, he found himself caught in a wildfire. The old folks were simply too weak from fasting to avoid the fire. Only Sanjay had any hope of getting away, so the king ordered his former charioteer to save himself. Sanjay was reluctant to leave. He was concerned that it was improper to be burned up by an unsanctified fire. But Dhritarashtra reassured him, saying that he had given up all the requirements of a householder, so his means of death no longer mattered. The last Sanjay saw was the old man, his wife, and sister-in-law, all facing east in deep meditation. They calmly awaited their death while the flames surrounded them. Narada concluded his story, saying that the other ascetics all envied their deaths, so there's no point in grieving for their departure. Of course, the sage's advice was pretty much ignored, and the whole court and city went into mourning as they learned the news. Yudhishthira was particularly heartbroken that his elders had been denied cremation by a consecrated fire. But Narada reassured him. It turned out that it was the king's own sacrificial campfire had not been properly put out, and that's what started the forest fire. So they had been burned in a sacred fire after all. Narada assured the bereaved that by the merit of their actions, all three had received great rewards in the afterlife, so there really was no reason to feel sorry for them. Soon after, Narada wandered off while the Pandavas did the rites for their dead elders at the banks of the river. Thus it was that Dhritarashtra lived 15 years in retirement at Hastinapur, and then lived another 3 years as a penitent. If you're keeping score, there's that number 18 again. There are 18 volumes in the epic, the Bhagavad Gita is in 18 chapters, and the war lasted 18 days. Like a fractal, that number appears in surprising places. As for Yudhishthira, it says that after the death of his uncle, and having lost all his sons and so many kinsmen, he became very cheerless. True to his dharma, however, he continued to bear the burden of kingship. This ends the Ashramavasika Parva. The next book, number 16, is called the Maushala Parva, which means something like the Book of the Cudgels. The story picks up another 18 years later, now 36 years after the Great War. During that 36th year, many portents were observed. Hot dry winds blew and rivers were seen to reverse their courses. The air became heavy with smog, and the sun and moon appeared to be encircled with a dirty halo. Not long after, the Pandavas received news from Dwarka that the entire race of the Vrishnis, Krishna's kinfolk, had been completely destroyed, and only Krishna and his brother Balram had survived the disaster. Of course, this was some shocking news, so Janamajaya interrupted the narration to ask for more details of what happened to that formerly invincible race. Here we have another situation where a well-known scene from the epic is told in a surprisingly clumsy manner. Vaisampayana said that during the 36th year after the war, the sages Narada, Vishvamitra, and Kamva came by Dwarka to visit. For some reason, a group of Vrishni teenagers decided to play a trick on these old rishis. Among these boys was a kid named Samba, who was one of Krishna's sons or grandsons. As a lark, the boys dressed up Samba as a woman and took her to see the sages. 
they introduced their companion as the wife of a man named Babru. They said, this woman desires to give birth to a son. Can you tell us for sure whether she'll have a son or a daughter? Of course, these eminent sages could not be fooled so easily. And they were definitely not the type to appreciate a joke. They got mad instead and announced, This boy, Krishna's son Sambo, will give birth to an iron bolt that will bring about the destruction of the Vrishnis and Andakas. Intoxicated and proud, you will exterminate your people with the exception of Krishna and his brother Balram. When news of this curse reached Krishna, he summoned his kin and told them what had been ordained. He reminded them that destiny was unavoidable and then returned to his palace. The next day, poor Samba gave birth to an iron rod. Their king, Ugrasena, intervened and had the iron rod ground into dust and then thrown into the ocean. In addition, the king prohibited the manufacture and consumption of alcohol. I guess sometimes fate can be delayed, but it cannot be denied. While they lived on borrowed time, the figure of death was seen walking the streets of Dwarka, peering into people's windows. Death took on the appearance of a bald, black-skinned man. When he was sighted, the Vrishnis even tried firing arrows at him, but all to no avail. The longer they put off the inevitable, the more bad omens appeared. Rats and vermin wandered the streets in broad daylight, and dogs gave birth to cats. As for Krishna's relations, they seemed to lose their moral compass. They lost interest in religion and disregarded the Brahmins. They lost all respect for their elders and teachers. Only Krishna and Balram maintained their virtue. Clearly, the Kali Yuga was closing in around them. Even food spoiled more easily than before. It was now 36 years since the Great War, and many of the same astrological omens were observed as had been seen on the eve of the war. Krishna observed this and decided it was time to put events into motion. He declared that it was time for his people to undertake a pilgrimage to the holy site of Prabhasa, modern-day Somnath in Gujarat. As preparations were made for the journey, there were more omens that made it indisputable that the Kali Yuga had begun. First, Krishna's magic frisbee, the Sudarshana Chakra, returned to heaven. Then, Krishna's chariot and four celestial horses also departed, never to return until the turning of the ages. Of course, this only goaded the Vrishnis to attend to their pilgrimage in hopes that it might fend off the inevitable. I guess the king's prohibition on alcohol did not extend to Prabhasa, because when they settled down at the seaside temple, the Vrishnis had an alcohol-sodden party. Even Balram, Satyaki, and Kritavarman of the Andakas got drunk that night. If you recall, Kritavarman was there with Kripa and Ashvataman when the Pandava army was slaughtered in the dead of night. So you can imagine that there's still some hard feelings over his part in that unnatural massacre. His tongue loosened up by the wine, Satyaki recalled that ugly incident, saying, what sort of Kshatriya would sneak up on people in their sleep and kill them unarmed? Krishna kept silent, but Satyaki's cousins all heartily agreed. Of course, Kritavarman had some grievances of his own. He recollected how Satyaki had killed Brishravas, who was unarmed and out of the fight. This argument quickly heated up into a brawl. The Bhojas and Andakas surrounded Satyaki and began to beat him with their wine flagons. Krishna's son Pradyumna ran to Satyaki's side, but the two were outnumbered. While Krishna looked on, both were killed. Now that finally made Krishna angry. He reached down and seized a handful of grass, which instantly transformed into iron bolts. Krishna used them to kill the mob who had killed his relatives. Then everyone else started picking up blades of grass, and they too became fatal weapons in their hands. The combatants soon discovered that this magical grass made a great weapon. When they threw it, it could penetrate any armor.
With Krishna's help, the crowd was finally completely exterminated. When this was over, Krishna and his charioteer Dharuka were the only survivors. Somehow Balram had been elsewhere resting under a tree, so the pair went to him. Krishna then directed Daruka to ride to Hastinapur and inform them that all the Yadavas were slaughtered and Arjun should come quick and tend to the widows at Dwarka. Krishna also decided to leave. He told Balram, wait for me here while I make sure the women are taken care of. He went straight to the city where King Ugrasena and the women were awaiting news of the pilgrimage. Krishna told the king to protect the women until Arjun arrived. He said, Take care of the women. As for me, I am going to leave for the forest with my brother. Having witnessed the death of the Kshatriyas in the war, and now having beheld the destruction of my kin, I cannot bear to see Dwarka's streets bereft of her warriors. The women all sit to wailing as Krishna left the city for the last time. When Krishna got back to his brother, he found Balram doing yoga under a tree. Opening his mouth, a huge white snake emerged. This giant snake had a thousand heads, red eyes, and was as big as a mountain. It went straight into the ocean where a big crowd of other celestial snakes had gathered to greet him, along with Varuna, the god of the ocean. Together, these companions entered the waters, and that was the end of Balram. I can't say I'll miss him. Man-god aside, he was never a very sympathetic character. After his brother had left the human world, Krishna wandered the forest pensively. Eventually, he sat down beneath another tree and began to meditate. He decided it was time to make the prophecies true and to die like a mortal man. As he sat there alone, a hunter named Jara spotted him. Thinking he'd seen a deer, he shot an arrow which struck Krishna in the foot. When Jara came up to him, he saw Krishna still sitting in meditation. Guilty and afraid, the hunter prostrated himself before Vasudev, but Krishna comforted him and forgave him, and then ascended into heaven. When Krishna entered heaven, there was a big party as he was greeted by Shiva and all the devas. It says, Then the illustrious Narayan, of fierce energy, the creator and destroyer of all, reached his own inconceivable region. That's all for now. Next time we'll get back to the Pandava's reaction to these dramatic events. Clearly, the Kali Yuga is closing in on them, so don't expect any more miracles. Thanks for listening.